Beloved Church of God, beginning our service before the Lord, let us stand and affirm the promise that relates to the door of our hope. Let the resurrection of Christ reign in our bodies. Amen. Let us bow our heads in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, we are grateful to your holy name for this once again privilege to be in this place that your hand has outlined for the worship of your holy name. And so allow your inheritance in the name of the blood of the covenant to be lifted to heights higher than us and to break all burden and sin that binds us. In the name of Jesus Christ, may in this place as before be cursed all the works of devil, illnesses, poverty, premature death, demonic dependencies, all forms of fears, depression, destruction, stagnancy, ignorance. All of this let it depart from the tents of your holy people and stand, Lord, on the place of your rest, you and the ark of your greatness. And may your saints be clothed in your salvation and may they rejoice before your countenance. Give us more from your spirit. Fill us with your Holy Spirit and allow us to find your holy countenance. We thank you that this service is presented by Apostle Arkady into your divine arms. And we ask you to continue to, light it, to guide it with that high and uplifted hand, Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. You may be blessed. You may be seated. The place of scripture is Luke chapter, or rather Ephesians chapter 4, verses 22 to 24 that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust and be renewed in the spirit of your mind and that you put on the new man which was created according to God into righteousness and holiness Pastor Daniel had recently read this place of scripture and called it our most favorite place and I right away thought it is it is loved by the new man and so the word that we will remember is taken from this series of sermons of Apostle Arkady which is a call for those who all those who have loved the word of the Lord we can boldly say that each sermon is a challenge for those who have heard it. And an example of as what happened with me when I had heard something. In the beginning of every service on Fridays, a place of scripture is read by Brother Arkady, Luke 24, verse 44. Then Jesus said to his disciples, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the Law of Moses and the Prophets and the Psalms concerning me. This place of scripture is from the New Testament and it has for many years has become the epigraph of our study and I have noticed that with my attention at the beginning of service I, I miss this place of scripture. I'm ready to hear the word that is going to be spoken but this as if it was nearby somewhere but about a month and a half ago pastor read this place of scripture and there was something within me that turned on when he he said 
When he had spoken these words, Jesus began to depart, and the cloud took him from their sight. This means that if I and you are found in Christ Jesus, and Christ is in us and lives in us, then this place of scripture doesn't just talk about him, but us as well. And this means that our fates are written in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms, and are called to be filled just like in the earthly life of our Lord and Savior. This means that each of us individually must endure all the things in this life and the things that our Savior went through in Gethsemane, his discipleship, the cross, and also his glorified resurrection. And having been found upon the first, uh, last time we had watched Pastor's sermon, it was called the time for the affirmation of the covenant in the format of the isolation from one another. That was the topic of the sermon, and I thought, well, we are all in church, all together. Why apart in isolation from one another? And I remembered the times during school, and I think you've endured this before, when you were told that the teacher will not come to this lesson, and how we clapped our hands and we're happy that this, we wouldn't have this lesson. Imagine this, this doesn't happen with us. The, the, our teacher continues to remain with us, and each word of the apostle is given to us by Pastor Daniel in the format of a greeting. As soon as he had passed along this greeting, I thought, okay, well, something else is going to be shared. And then the sermon started. And I understood that this is a greeting for only those who have entered through the narrow gates and for those who began to have the dignity, the dignity of a virtuous wife, the bread of the Lamb, and the chosen remnant of God. And I recognize for myself that the time in which we live is the continuation of the time of the affirmation of the covenant in the format of isolation from one another. But yet we continue to have that greeting word as a guide for us, which can help us to affirm this covenant. And so, our readiness to meet with Christ will be comprised of the fact that we, which we today will look at again and again, and this is the right to set aside our former way of life so that we can be clothed into the new way of life. And so, for us as members of the body of Christ, to share with Christ all that was written about Him in Scripture, we will continue our direction in the study of the Word of God and with the Holy Spirit who uncovers the truth for us so that we can receive the right to set aside our former way of life in order to clothe our bodies into a new way of life. And this is our initial calling and vocation. And it is all one for us, one calling. Because if we do not do this and if we do not set aside the former way of life, we will not be able to be clothed into something new, which we call a new way of life. In the category of people that have not clothed themselves, in this image, image of a new way of life, contains prerogatives for us, goals, requirements, desires, new thinking, and so forth. And this kind of category cannot be raptured. If Christianity were to understand what the readiness is to be ready for rapture, this is a necessity for each one to clothe themselves into the new way of life. For this, it is necessary for the new way of life to dwell in the heart 
and then we need to free it with our lips. You've noticed that when we hear something, if we have heard it, and we have heard it in our heart, then that which we have placed in our heart is necessary to absolutely proclaim with our lips. We are going to be taught how to gain the inner state of liberty in Christ Jesus. That comes only after we only after we show ourselves and present ourselves before God. And so, to receive the right to set aside the former way of life in order to be called into the new way of life is a topic of our study. And for the fulfillment of these three faithful questions, there are three faithful requirements. As we mentioned, this is to set aside, renew, and to clothe. And as we had noticed, each one for themselves, that these wonderful verbs contain in themselves the great mystery of the revelations of God for each child of God individually. They must not become slogans for us. What happened at church and someone names, okay, three verbs and that's it. No, this is not a slogan. Behind these words stands the Word of God with all of its statutes, commandments, requirements. And despite the sequence of these verbs, in these words, it doesn't tell us well how and with what means what means do we use in order to set aside a formal way of life and then to be renewed in the spirit of our mind and finally begin the process of being clothed into our new man. This is stretched out all throughout scripture, beginning from Genesis and up until the end of Revelation, and as we hear, it's like a red thread that fills all of Holy Scripture. The Lord had wanted that His desires to be stretched out through all of Scripture. And for us to see this, this wholeness of this truth, it is necessary to study it not in separate aspects, but all of Holy Scripture that is written under the inspiration of the power of the Holy Spirit. And we ought to use, as we, as we, as we know, all of our desires, emotions, means, that we can be able to wait and receive the answer from the Holy Spirit in the boundaries of the Word of God. The Holy Spirit never gives anyone revelation outside of the limits of His Word. And when He does give, then oftentimes He gives places of Holy Scripture. And if you've noticed, as Christ had spoken His words, as it is written, as it is written, He always was based on that word that the Holy Spirit had at one point in that time in scrolls, he had sealed. He said, as it is written, he had knowledge of the word of God. And from the fulfillment of these three faithful questions will depend on whether or not we turn ourselves into vessels of mercy or vessels of wrath. This, I again, I always read this and I began to think, uh, what is a vessel? Or what is a vessel of mercy or a vessel of anger? And my pastor has said that if I can turn myself into a vessel of mercy, I will be able to collaborate with this and I will be a vessel of mercy. But if not, I will be a vessel of wrath. As we know, a vessel is a container for something. In Holy Scripture, we see that there were vessels with oil, with mirror, with water, with fragrances. 
And uh, there's another place of scripture that also says vessels with fish. Uh, this was, this is that is as it is written in the Russian translation. And it's interesting that in Holy Scripture that when it talks about vessels of mercy, it contains the following uh, characteristics. These are clear vessels, vessels of heaven, vessels that are hallowed, precious vessels, ve- vessels for godly use, vessels for honor, vessels for divine service, vessels that are covered, vessels of the house of the Lord, vessels that belong to the table of the Lord. But what's interesting, what it, what the Word of God says about vessels of wrath, these are the vessels of death, vessels of lowly use, vessels that are empty, vessels that are broken, vessels that are opened, as we know they're open to any information, and vessels that are ungodly and he's these are the differences between a vessel of mercy and vessels of wrath and the salvation we know that was given to us in the format of a deposit can be fulfilled or we will waste it if we were to waste it our names would be blotted out of the book of life and we know that in order to gain it as a belonging we need to place the seed of justification into circulation Otherwise, again, we would use justification that was given to us in the format of a deposit forever. Because of which, our names, which upon making a covenant with God, were written, written, past tense, in the book of life, will forever be blotted out of it. You know, for many Christians, salvation is seen as simply a goal, the goal of their whole life, to be saved. How can I end up at the threshold of heaven? But as we have been taught, salvation is given to us in the format of a seed and not in any other way. And it turns out that our fates will depend on how we deal with this seed, how we deal with the deposit of of our justification. Will we be able to uncover the potential of this seed? Each seed whether it be a seed of a fruit, whether it be the seed of the Word of God, behind it stands a mighty potential that our Maker concluded and made in it. This means that the seed, the seed is not ours, it's God, it's God's, and it is given to us in the format of a deposit for us to place it into circulation in the death of the Lord Jesus, and so that we can gain something that is ours, specifically belonging to us as a right of belonging. This, then, is our fruit our fruit that each one ought to bring individually. And if this does not occur, then we will lose our justification that is given to us in the format of a deposit forever. And so our property is our fruit, our choice, and our desire to dedicate ourselves. In a certain format, we have already studied the first two questions and have stopped to study the following question. What conditions are necessary to fulfill so that we, through our already renewed thinking, could begin the process of being clothed in the powers of our new man created by God in Christ Jesus in righteousness and holiness of truth. We have noted that the new man that we must be clothed into is our inner or inmost man that was born from the incorruptible seed of the word of God, which lives in us with 
the old man. Our body is not our old man. The body is not the old man. The old man also is unseen, just as our new man is unseen. And these two men live in one body. Imagine, two opposite people, or as we say, two completely different armies with different goals and tensions. They both live in one body. What happens in our body? Of course, that there is a war. And of course, each one is tired from this war because each one has to make a decision, constantly make a decision, to define the prerogative. For one says one thing and the other man says another. And there is constantly, there is a need to make a decision between them both. And this decision needs to be made up until a certain time, until, until our new man is completely endowed with authority to rule, until he grows in this fear. The new man, by nature, is righteous, holy, imperishable, and immortal, because of which, although he is temporarily found in the decaying body, he dwells in the fourth dimension of the invisible and eternal world. I will remind, remind you that, given that oftentimes the fourth dimension is talked about something that is mysterious, the thing is, is that the whole world, or the world in which we live, it is three-dimensional. It is comprised of the past, present, and future time. And in eternity, there is only one dimension. It is called the fourth. It stands above these dimensions. It controls them, and it controls them and rules them. Eternity always controls time. And so, our new man carries the dimension of eternity, but in time. And so, he does not depend on time and rules over time. Why? Because he looks at the invisible and he lives according to the invisible and strives in the in, to the invisible. The old man looks at the visible, he lives according to what is visible and he strives toward what is visible. He says, why do I need something an attorney? Allow me to live here in life well. I was born here on earth, so let me live well here so that I have everything blessed in abundance that I can use all the earthly goods. You know, when in prayer we close our eyes, we are found in the invisible realm with the invisible values and treasures that we hear. When we see, we look at the visible values. I remind you, as we see our brothers and sisters, like we see our children that we proclaim ourselves blameless and upright, how we look at our brothers and sisters is important. How we ought to view ourselves and those that surround us. Scripture wants to see us, and this is the will of God. How he must see us. The new man who calls the invisible, the inexistent inheritance of Christ in time as existent. You know, there is a category of certain Christians, believers, that whenever they open scripture, they see prosperity everywhere. Uh, another that opens the Holy Scripture, he sees that which he is filled with. He is not based on that which he will receive from there. He wants to see something else, something that lives in him. And whatever place we open, we see the reign of the resurrection of Christ in our bodies. That which fills us. And this inheritance that is invisible, imperishable, we live according to it. And so the new man 
proclaims with his lips the treasure of his heart that is engraved on the tablets of his heart and the subject that is a pure, unfading inheritance. And so the right to be clothed in the powers of our new man is the right, is the right to rule over time. Because this right is tied to the decision of a person to fulfill the commandment that tells us at what time and with what truth we should clothe ourselves into the new man. He who keeps his command will experience nothing harmful. This is referring to the commandment that has many statutes that will show us at what time and how to clothe ourselves into the new man. And it is written that the heart of the wise discerns both time and statute because he observes this commandment. Because for everything there is a time and statute, though the misery of man increases greatly, for he does not know what will happen. So who can then tell him when it will occur? Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verses 5 through 7. If you've noticed, when we purchase something, and then these boxes, there's always a manual, as we say, or an instruction sheet, how to create it. And of course, I put this always aside, and I then begin to assemble. And when I can't assemble, and or something broke, then again, I take out this instruction, this manual again, and I think, okay, well, now I'll have to start all over and assemble it all over again. And you know, it is woeful to a person who does not accept the words of the messenger. These are all the instructions of our life. We're not talking about some kind of purchase that we make, but this is related to our calling, related to our life. Each person tries to do everything with his own mind, with his own intellect. Reading some kind of place of scripture, he thinks that he has something. He grasps onto it, not even recognizing what is written here. Therefore, according to this and other places of scripture, without ruling, o- without ruling over time expressed in the knowledge of what will happen, it will be impossible to be clothed in garments of righteousness to fulfill the perfect justice of our Heavenly Father. And when examining the nature of the new man, we decided to look at the process of being clothed in the powers of the new man from seven different angles or in seven virtues, although many more of them exist. And so, this is a person that is clothed in the garments of salvation. It is a person clothed in the robe of righteousness. It is a person crowned with the crown of the bridegroom, decorated with the ornaments of a bride, dressed in a wedding garment, dressed in fine linen, clean and bright, and a person that has accepted the representative force of Yahweh of hosts. When examining these virtues, we highlighted the fact that all of these virtues are located in one another, they find themselves in one another, they come from one another, they support one another and serve to ratify the truth of one another. In Isaiah chapter 61, verses 10 and 11, we today will di- we, we will discover four of these virtues. And so I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for He has clothed me with the garments of salvation. One, He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. Two, as a bridegroom decks himself with ornaments. This is three. And in one of the translations it says, as a bridegroom who, like a priest, puts on himself a head turban. And fourth, as a bride who adorns herself with her jewels. For as the earth brings forth its bud, 
as the garden causes the things that are sown in it to spring forth, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to spring forth before all the nations. These virtues express righteousness and the glory of the Lord. These are the garments of salvation, robe of righteousness, crown of a bridegroom, and jewels of a bride. And all of these virtues are meant for each person individually. We have noted that the combination of these virtues and regalia of power in one man, especially the combination of the crown of the bridegroom and jewels of the bride, truly surpasses the abilities of our mind. And we have already understood this, and not just our agreement, this is as we know it, because this is as it is. Because we already know that the male gender is to proclaim the faith, and the uh, female gender is to accept the word of faith. When we accept, we were the function of a female, and when we proclaim, this is the function of the male. Because in the Spirit in Christ Jesus, there is no male nor female gender. Therefore, all of those who are found in Christ are called to have both the male and female functions in themselves. And so second, in this prophetic saying, these are virtues that are grown by God in the heart of a person. The same way the earth grows its plants and a garden grows what is sown in it. Each seed has its ground that it is sown in. When we uh, when we sow in our garden, there is the land that is meant that is meant for it. And when we go into the house of the Lord, if we prepare ourselves to hear, we work with this land, we uh, we till it, and in doing so, we prepare ourselves. And the Word of God says we prepare ourselves more than for the sacrifice of fools. That is written that place of Scripture. It turns out that this is the process that we undergo each time. Therefore, this kind of fruit, or rather third, joy in the Lord in this prophecy is one of the characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit that is called to define the kingdom of heaven in the pure heart of man. It's important to know that a good heart is the kind of heart that has prepared itself, that has prepared itself for hearing the word of God. Therefore, this kind of fruit of joy in the heart of man is the result of harvest that yielded the kingdom of heaven in his heart, ascending in power, which was previously in the sowing of an unfading seed that was planted in tears in, with, planted in tears in the heart of this man. As it is written in Psalms 126, 5 through 6, those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. He who continually goes forth weeping, bearing seed for sowing, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. And so being clothed into the new man is being clothed in the fruit of the Spirit or the resurrection of Christ in the subject of the fruit of the Spirit that we have brought to God that is called to yield in our heart the power and order of the kingdom of heaven in righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. In a certain format, we have already examined the core that is in the garments of salvation, have stopped to examine the robes of righteousness, specifically the size of the price that is necessary to pay for the right to be clothed in a robe of righteousness, with clothes us in the powers to be fulfillers of the judgments of God. And with regard to this, we have already looked at six conditions and have stopped to examine the seventh condition. And so... This is the price for the right to be clothed in a robe of righteousness to fulfill the justice of God. This is being clothed in the redemption that is due 
to being observant of the Lord's Pesach according to the statute set by God. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Most assuredly I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. We are not talking about the breaking of bread. Of course, it is included in it, but there the most important is the teaching that is called the teaching of the blood and the teaching of the cross. And if it lacks, then each time we eat the bread and drink the cup, we eat in judgment to him, to ourselves. For we do not understand the teaching of the blood and teaching of the cross, what roles they fulfill in our, and in our relations with God, if a person doesn't know. Therefore, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. You know, any commandment in our life works directly according to the measure at which we acknowledge it and no more. The wider we know it, the wider it will work in us. My flesh is food indeed, he says, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread which came down from heaven. Not as your fathers ate the manna and are dead. He who eats this bread will live forever. This is John chapter 6, verses 53 through 58. And the main purpose in the worthy partaking of the Pesach is comprised of the knowledge through instruction and faith of our work with the teaching contained in the truth of the blood of Christ and the truth of the cross of Christ, revealing for us a path to inheritance in the blood of Christ. And this we receive through instruction and faith, through instruction and faith, because without instruction a person is not bridled, he must be instructed, and he must acknowledge who is instructing him. And this uncovers to us the inheritance in the blood of Christ. And if a person, through instruction and faith, will not be taught these two fundamental truths that are the root system of the teaching of Jesus Christ who came in the flesh, then he will not have the opportunity to worthily partake in the feast of the Lord, in the Pesach of the Lord. We have noted that each detail of the yearly celebration of Pesach presented in the worthy partaking of the Lord's Supper points to the final freedom from the bondage of sin and death in the body. Death in the body of a person. Pastor noted that being found in our body, we might be completely freed from, we can be completely freed from slavery to sin. To not serve it and to not allow it to rule us. And in the future, final freedom, final freedom from the perishable body and deadly soul, which, thanks to the worthy partaking of the basic lamb in time, will be clothed into incorruptibility and imperishability and immortality. In the Pesach statute, worthy partaking with the Pesach lamb consisted of meeting the conditions of certain kinds of clothing that carry the readiness to fulfill God's justice and certain kinds of conditions necessary for worthy partaking of the Pesach lamb. Non-compliance to these conditions in any of their aspects 
did not free man from the execution of the sentence of death. And as we know, the retribution for sin is what? It is death. And on the contrary, in complying to the statute of the Pesach made a person a partaker, the production of God's judgment over the firstborn of Egypt, over sin in the face of the firstborn of Egypt. And so Exodus 12, 12, For I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night and will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. And according to these regulations, we know that the firstborn of Egypt that the Egyptians so heavily relied on were the gods and deities of Egypt. Because what we depend on or who we depend on defines our deity, our trust, our worship, our time. The firstborn of Egypt represented the image of the soul of man who declined to lose his soul in the death of the Lord Jesus. And we need to remember that those that did lose their soul in the death of the Lord Jesus, in doing so, they condemned what? They judged what? The firstborn of Egypt. Those that voluntarily lost in the death of the Lord Jesus their soul in order to die to their nation, to the house of their father, and to their carnal desires, which resisted the desires of God, these are those that are the image of the firstborn of Egypt. And so if we do not fulfill God's judgment by condemning our soul to death in the worthy partaking of the Lord's Pesach according to the statutes that in place by God, we will never be a part of the descendants of Abraham's faith. Although we might be called Abraham's according to faith, and also we will never be able to be clothed in the robe of righteousness in the face of our new and inner man. So to be clothed in our salvation, we must be clothed in our salvation. Otherwise, we will lose our salvation if we are not clothed into the new man. Abraham, who was set by God as a standard of faith, accepted the promise of God, just like we he accepted it in the seed, in the seed of the preached word to him because of which he began calling the inexistent as existent. The New Testament says, what is faith? And in this manner, he grew the seed into the fruit of joy in the face of the one whom he bore, Isaac. And God, what tarried at the example of this person for us, he endured long suffering. If this fruit were to be given to him too early, this would not have been correct. This is a certain image and example for each of us until the very end to not be based on what I see, what I hear but what I know for a person it is called to call the inexistent as existence, uh, for example take a check for any kind of sum, 1,000, 5,000 20,000 and some, this is just a piece of paper, there's nothing that stands behind it, there's nothing that stands behind it until this check is placed onto the account and we see it on this account, then we can take it. But for now, it is just written. There is nothing that stands behind it. Even there is, we may not even have this joy. We call it an existent as existent because we have sorrow, we have illness, sufferings, troubles, losses. 
they're real. And our body is also real for us. And we must call it completely different than, than what, how we see it. We must, how must we call it? Our imperishable inheritance, having been being ill, we must proclaim our healing in Christ Jesus. Being dependent on sin, we must declare victory from sin in Christ Jesus. That we do not lose it, we must proclaim that all of that which we have, and we have not lost anything, whatever may happen, we declare that we have not lost everything, because all of this is in our dominion, in our power. Scripture teaches us this, and our Father teaches us this. Who needs to be told that he's rich? A rich person? Well, no, he knows. He knows how much money he has. He knows how much money he has on his account or in the bank. In the glass bank. No. You must tell the poor. Who must be told that he is healthy? You think, oh, a healthy person? He knows that he is healthy. No, to the sick. Who must be told that he is strong? To the strong? No, to the weak. Apostle Paul writes that we, having nothing, yet have everything, and so forth. And when a person believes in this, he begins to have joy, and he begins to proclaim, but I know, he says, but if he in sorrow begins to proclaim, this means that he has not accepted it. If a person accepts and begins to grow, he has joy. Joy, but it is there begins to grow to such a level that it is difficult to withhold it. It is an unearthly measure of joy. It is not an emotional joy that comes, it is a joy that comes from the spirit of a person. When we accept something and when we say, let it be to me according to your word, and if I say, not just with my tongue, but with my inner spirit, I proclaim this, and it belongs to me, and there's a certain joy that then comes in very difficult circumstances and troubles when it would seem as if everything has dimmed, but no one will be able to take away this joy. This is what the Word of God teaches us to look, how it teaches us to look at our circumstances in our lives. And so the face of the Pesach in leather garments that God had made for the redemption of the first Adam, even before the creation of the earth, was intended by God to become the blessed fate of all those who believe. Those whom he pre-appointed. This depends not on God, but on us, our decision. The might, according to the might of God, he could foreknow us, know each of our decision and each of our word. And so it is in the worthy partaking of Pesach that God received the ability to execute judgment over his ancestral promises, including the fulfillment of his judgment over his enemies. And here, Brother Akari had brought up the place of Scripture, sit next to me until I put all of your enemies at the footstool of your feet. To sit with me means to reign. Our power is to sit calmly, to sit at the right hand from me, meaning I will do this, but you sit. Try to see yourself sitting 
in the Lord, in God, in Christ, in Christ Jesus. Until I work with your enemies, who are our enemies? Who are these enemies that he works with? These are the unclean, this is the world, abject poverty, all kinds of sicknesses and diseases that plague his chosen remnants today. But they won't be able to overcome the chosen remnants. And for the unfading riches of the Pasic feast containing within itself partaking to God's heritage and to God's righteousness, for them to become our inheritance, our achievement, our belonging, Scripture imputed for us the necessity to fulfill ten conditions, or rather, to be in these ten conditions. Last time, we had continued to go over the tenth condition, but again, I will list them, remind us that there are ten of them total. This is the choice and the separation of the Pesach lamb to remove all leaven from our homes, to sprinkle the blood of the Pesach lamb over the beams and doorposts of the door, to bake the whole Pesach lamb over fire, to gird oneself with the belt. This is referring to the uh, belt of truth, to put shoes on your foot, or rather to be a light to this world, to contain a staff in your hand, this is the soul that we have lost and which we, again, have grabbed onto and have gained it by way of proclamation, grabbing it by the tail, grabbing it by the wheel. We begin to proclaim not with what we see with our physical eyes, but what in what Satan shows us, or what a person, or what we see, but what we see in God. And we must proclaim what we see in God. Just This is like Moses. When he attended to the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, and the dialogue that had occurred between them, or rather between him and the Lord, this is the anatomy of these relations of any kind of a person. Eight, to eat the whole lamb. This is to not choose the truths that we want. Uh, this we accept, this we don't accept, this we read, this we don't read. Nine, to eat the basic lamb with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. And ten, to eat the basic lamb in haste. Exodus 12:11. And thus you shall eat it. A belt on your waist, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. So you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Pesach. We know that the element of haste when eating the Pesach was so important that it is mentioned in Scripture numerous times as an unchanging law. It is this particular element that was involved in the exodus out of Egypt. This is the element of haste. And this particular element was elevated to a rank of special signs, able to serve as a sign of circumcision, um, the, the circumcision of our heart and our ears. In Deuteronomy chapter 16, verse 3, it says, You shall eat no leavened bread with it. Seven days you shall eat unleavened and leavened bread with it, that is, the bread of affliction, for you came out of the land of Egypt in haste. You may remember the day in which you came out of the land of Egypt all the days of your life. It is a memory of these ten conditions, all of these nine conditions. The word haste, aside from its literal meaning in the dimension of time, means hurry, rush, not be late. In Hebrew, in the dimension of the spirit, or rather the fourth dimension, it contains 
a completely different meaning. Specifically, be haste is to take on the yoke, to carry your cross, to endure suffering, to be clothed the robe of a student, to be clothed in the weapons of light and the powers of the doctrine of Christ, or to be strengthened with all power according to the might of God's glory, to renew your thinking, to meditate on the supreme law of the Most High, to listen to the words of God with fear and trembling, and to stand guard having not damaged the word of God. Considering that eating the Pesach is a guarantee of the new law or New Testament, which is symbolically made in the number 8, we decided to look at 8 signs that contain the meaning of haste, although many more of them exist, as Pastor had said. In a certain format, we have already examined 6 signs that define haste in the worthy partaking of the Pesach lamb. We have stopped to examine the 7th sign of eating in haste. The seventh sign of eating the Lord's Pesach in haste in Hebrew is to be strengthened with all power according to the might of God's glory, with all patience, generosity, and joy. Colossians 1.11 And we have noted that in Scripture, God's power, a strength that we are called to be strengthened by, having eating the Lord's Pesach in haste, due to the innumerable possibilities and capabilities of God, they are contained in a variety of His works that demonstrate the power and the glory of God. The pastor had reminded us how beautiful and how multifaceted is the word strength in Hebrew and what it means. Power, strength, might, right. It is the authority, the rule, sign, covenant. It is light, designation, sign, attributes of royal power, the whole armor of God is the host of heaven, the elements of the universe, the many graces and bounties of God, many of God's greatness and grandeur, many innumerable and immeasurable powers of God, power and fortresses, also power. And all of these were taken by pastor from the Bible for as it is written in scripture, it is the ability to spread expand to do justice and righteousness it is also means miracles and wonders power of miracles and the power of wonders thus upon collaboration with the specific strengths of God operating in us and of course through us we'll be able to testify that we are partaking of the Lord's basic in haste which gives us the opportunity to withstand the ambitions of our personal Egypt. So we must consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God. And so, to be strengthened by all power according to the might of His glory, it is necessary to fulfill one condition. This is to be in patience and long-suffering with joy. And we see that for this goal or for this purpose, it was necessary for us to study what shall we consider under the power of God that is contained in the might of His glory? How can we be strengthened with these powers in patience and long-suffering if we are not able to define of, of, of any one of these? 
Although there are many of these powers, It is necessary to fulfill one condition to be in patience and long-suffering with joy. When studying the first question, what is to be understood as the powers of God contained in the power of His glory? We have come to a conclusion that the multifunctional powers of God are defined by the immeasurable and innumerable manifold works of God. Psalm 66, verse 3. Say to God, How awesome are your works! Through the greatness of your power, your enemies shall submit themselves to you. Uh, how awesome are your works through the great, uh, greatness of your power. When it says, how awesome are your works, this means that the word is the work, and the word is power. These are identical. The In the word work, there is power. In the word power, there is the work. And the main enemy, as was already defined, is our soul. That is tied, of course, to its nation its household, and its genetic inclinations and lusts that are under the multitude powers of hell. They hide behind these powers. The works of God that are done through the greatness of His power, they always inspire fear and reverence before God. And if there is no fear and reverence before God, this means that this person does not have the works of God that could be made and done in his life, in his heart, specifically in a person. And each individual person born of God must see these results. And so, the works of God, God done through the greatness of his power inspire fear and reverence before God. And each individual person is called to behold in life these results. And in these mar- in manner, the powers of God contain the power of God is revealed in the great deed, God's redemption, showing us who God is for us and what He has done for us. And the question, how can we be strengthened by the great powers of God in the greatness of His glory, which reveals for us what we must do to inherit all that God has done for us in Christ Jesus? And so in a certain format, we have already examined several definitions that yield the nature and character of specific powers of God produced in His people and, of course, through His people. We have stopped to study at the next power of God that is called to be expressed in the heart and through the heart of a person who has been redeemed by God in the multitude of mercies and bounties of God. The definition of the power of the Lord in the heart of a person redeemed by God is in the multitude of the multitude of mercies and bounties of God. Psalms chapter 5, verses 4 through 8. But as for me, I will come into your house in the multitude of your mercy. In fear of you, I will worship toward your holy temple. So, the multitude of mercy is the multitude of the powers of God, or the mercy of God is the power of God. We have noted that through these multiple powers of God express the multitude of His mercies, and when we understand what mercy is, we will understand one 
of the powers of God. And when we understood the mercies of God in doing so, we will understand the multitude of the powers of God. Because it is through this that we could enter into the house of God. It is through the mercy of God. Therefore, it is necessary for our heart to gain the right, not just to collaborate with these powers, but also the right to dwell in these powers. The right to rule and over and be in the powers of God is the fear of the Lord that is called to use not the human fear, but the fear of the Lord to use and maintain those powers to blot out our iniquities before the face of God. I, according to your mercies, I will go into your home, will go into your holy temple. You see, the fear of the Lord leads the multitude of mercies, the multitude of the powers of God behind itself. The fear of the Lord is the power of God. It is the captain of the multitude of mercy that is called mercy. And this fear of the Lord leads this army after itself. This is the army. At the head of which is the generalismus, the fear of the Lord, and different kinds, ranks of officers that stand under the banner of the mercy of God, and the fear of God leads it. All of this is found in our heart. If, of course, each of us individually has the fear of the Lord, why do we need this? Why do we need this fear of the Lord as the captain that is going to lead the army of the mercies of God? Why do we need this strong army in order to blot out before God our iniquities, our sins? Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness and mercy. According to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned, and done this evil in your sight, that you may be found just when you speak, and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you doubt, you desire truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part you will make me to know wisdom. If a person has the truth, then inside of this truth is always wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness, that the bones you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me by your generous spirit. Psalms chapter 51, verses 3 to 14. The words that do not lose their importance, their actuality, their wisdom, fear of the Lord, humility. In today's time, it contains power when we place it in our hearts, when we proclaim it, 
when we pray with these words, when we cry out to God with these words, and God answers us. And you know, in demonstrating his care for us, Brother Akadi had offered to us the following, if you are found in sorrow, in trouble, and there is long sorrow, it can bring to shipwreck of faith. Begin to pray with this Psalm, 51st Psalm, God's program. This is God's sermon. We have noted that in order to blot out our iniquity, we must cooperate with the multitude powers of God in the subject of His mercies contained in the inheritance with the blood of the cross of Christ. And you know, in the mercy of God, this is the richness in the inheritance of the blood of Christ. And the unique cooperation with the multitude of God's mercies rests His innumerable bounties, created a prayer that defines the haste needed to eat of the Pesach. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. The thing is that only after blotting out our transgressions, through our cooperation with the multitude of the Lord's tender mercies, we will be made worthy of God and will receive the right to enter before the face of the Lord to ratify His interest in His perfect justice. And in order to collaborate with the mercies of God that clothe us in the powers to fulfill the justice of God, it is necessary for mercy and truth to bind our necks, that these truths be written on the tablets of our heart. We remember a neck. The neck represents the will. It could represent stiffness, our self-will, but we must bind our neck. What we must write on the tablet of our heart we must engrave, accept, and ponder upon, and proclaim. As the word that you hear is engraved, you hear the promise. I hear it. I like it. Any kind of promise. You want it to collaborate in your life. I also want this. I know I think you want this. We must do as Mary had done. When we hear, we say, let it be to me according to your word. And then you begin to ponder upon it. You write down this truth when you come home and repeat this truth however many times. And when something would come, when God showed, He said, you need to write it down. I will remember, I will remember, I will remember. I always told myself. But then uh, afternoon came, I took a pen, and then it's as if it, it, it wasn't, I couldn't remember anymore. Remember in the same way, after after the... When we together proclaim the eight names as Pastor and Pastor Daniel proclaim, let the Lord hear these let the Lord hear these words and make us firm and immovable in our hope. And we say, Amen. Let it be to me according to your word. This is not like a light you turn off. 
all of this is tied to a process. And this process began when the woman accepted this seed one week, two weeks, three weeks, one month. She knows. No one around her knows. We also, when we receive the word, we know, now this is mine. Now this belongs to me. And when I say this, and when I know this, it begins to work in me. A pastor had once said, when you meet with saints at the table, to have a conversation, well, how do you understand this truth? How does? How are you able to do this? How are we able to expand our knowledge when we begin to share with one another, either when we are in conversation with one another, either in our cell group services, it will be written in us with a different color. It'll be written. We will meet with the different possibilities of this word, and these are not the possibilities of ours, but the possibilities of this word, when they are manifested in each of us separately, will be filled with these names. And I think each of us, when you've met with pastor and you begin to talk with him, and I've had this before, and I, I thought I was going to ask something completely different, but Pastor then is speaking, speaking in something different, and then I understood. He is talking about what is what fills him, what he is thinking about. So when someone, when someone is in pain, uh, he will likely share of it because it fills him. How we know that someone is wise? We will look at that person, hear from him as he proclaims, and we will also want to seek the same. We have noted that under our neck, which is a simple symbol that we are called to bind to mercy and truth, is our cooperation with the sovereign, sovereign and perfect will of God. No one forces the other. In practice, this means to submit our will to the perfect will of God, uh, not on our conditions, but those that are mentioned in Scripture. Whereas engraving mercy and truth in the tablet of our hearts, the cooperation of our wise and rational heart with the wisdom and mind of God, which in practice means that each time we need to honor the Sabbath in the subject of our partaking to attending services, members of which we are, we must prepare the soil of our heart to accept the seed of the preached word of the kingdom of heaven. And to honor the Lord is to honor the Sabbath. In the subject of our partaking to our church, members of which each of us are, and to prepare the soil of our heart to accept this seed of the preached word of the kingdom of heaven and each person does this individually and I think you do this as well and then God will lay his wisdom in our hearts he lays wisdom in a wise heart Exodus 31 6 I have put wisdom in the hearts of all the gifted artisans that they may make all that I have commanded you those people that did not prepare their hearts for hearing when they go to church as pastor says, they don't have the mantle of a disciple to be ready to learn, but they come as inspectors, not having prepared themselves, or they have come and they, with their thoughts, they think about their plans, their interests, and what they're going to do after service. These people can't hear anything and they simply lose. 
Their heart is not prepared for hearing. And the place, their heart is not ready to be able to keep the seed. There is a, a place for, different, for something different. Like one person had said to Jesus, I will follow after you. And Jesus says to him, you can't follow after me. Can you imagine? He says, I will follow after you. Well, sounds like a good work. No, you cannot go. Because foxes have holes and the birds have nests in you. The other says, allow me to go bury my mother and father. And then all of a sudden Jesus answers, let the dead bury their dead. But you follow after me. As we know, foxes are false prophecies, false prophets that are not based on the word of God. I am. I come from Baptist church, and today, as you am, continue to be a Baptist, and uh, but I do uh, know others that are led by the Holy Spirit, uh, and they say I have been led by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has said this and that. This is what I have um, heard from others, and as we know, the Holy Spirit reveals His word, and it will, He will be based on the written word. When we say it is written, in doing so, we magnify the word of God. In this case, wise is that heart which, in the legal framework of truth, prepares itself for hearing the preached word about the kingdom of heaven, for the purpose of immediately fulfilling it. The legal framework of truth is when you come to your church and you prepare your heart for hearing, for hearing the word. And we acknowledge authority over ourselves of the specific person. And so the teaching of mercy that is presented in the work of God's redemption, which we are called to bind our neck by, can express itself only under the strict boundaries of the legal framework of truth yielded by the teaching of Jesus Christ who came in the flesh. Scripture directly says, Because you have placed your mind equal to my mind, you will be destroyed. You will perish. You'll be thrown into the depths of hell. This means that we can't, with our physical mind, try to study God, try to study Scripture, and try to understand it with our mind, and to control and to check all of those whom God had placed. We have the right to accept this person. This, of course, is our right, our prerogative to accept this person. But if we do not accept this person, we will never be able to accept the truth of the Word of God. And so, for God to be able to turn His golden scepter towards us in the subject of His favor, thanks to which we receive the right to ratify His justice over the just and on the unjust, the virtues of mercy and truth are supposed to not only become the possession of our hearts, but also its state, the state of our heart. which serves as the definition for the kingdom of heaven. In relation to this, we have once again decided to refresh our memories with these questions that are well known to us. What character does scripture put in the properties of God's mercies, which are an expression of his great power, defining God's favor toward man in the image of his golden scepter? Second, what purpose in our worship is called to fulfill the great powers of God in the subject of God's mercies? Third, what price must we pay 
let the multitude of God's mercies become our property and our state? And fourth, according to which results should we judge that God truly stretched out to us the multitude of His mercies in the image of His golden scepter that granted us His great powers? And when examining the first question, what characteristics the scripture put in the properties of God's mercies, which are an expression of His great power? We came to a conclusion that first, God's mercy as it is, is one of the main names of God as well as one of His character titles, is one of His virtues. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3 Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. And there are many of these places of Scripture. Second, the Lord's mercy is God's inheritance that is passed on solely to His children as the heirs of Abraham's faith from one righteous kind to another righteous kind, from the Father to the Son. Third, the mercy of the Lord according to its status is lifted up over life in the flesh because it is better than life in the flesh. Fourth, the Lord's mercy is one of the diverse manifestations of the goodness of God expressed in His grace which has reigned in the heart of a person the righteousness that a person has accepted as a gift of grace in the redemption of Christ Jesus. Fifth, the Lord's mercy contained in God's goodness is one of the definitions and manifestations of God's truth that has been pre-designed for the vessels of mercy that walk in truth. Remember who the vessels of mercy are. Vessels of mercy that walk in truth. Those that are filled with what? What they live with, what they are made out of, or what kind of service? Psalms 89 verse 1, I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. My mouth will I make known your faithfulness to all generations. See how important this is. Hear, to place, and then to proclaim. To proclaim before our friends, to proclaim before ourselves. I've noticed how it works when you begin to hear yourself. And so, the right to trumpet the manifold mercies of God we can do only in the boundaries of the legal framework of truth. From this it follows that a person who trumpets mercies and praises them as truth in the boundaries of the legal field of truth is in God's goodness and protects himself from falling away. Romans chapter 11 verse 22 Therefore, consider the goodness and severity of God on those who fell severity but toward you goodness if you continue in his goodness. Otherwise you also will be cut off. And so God's goodness it is a demonstration of the mercy and truth that covers those people who have bound their necks to mercy and truth in the boundaries of the legal framework of truth. Whereas, the severity of God is a demonstration of God's justice and righteousness that spreads over those people that have refused to bind their necks to mercy and truth. Scripture calls these people wicked. Psalms 
Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Mercy and truth go before your face. Mercy and truth, they go before, and righteousness and justice then follow behind. If righteousness and justice go forth, this will not be good. The phrase mercy and truth go before your face means that mercy and truth precede the righteousness and justice of God or our justification for man, which allow God to not punish a man for his crimes. If righteousness and justice go in front, all of our transgressions would be imputed to us. But if mercy and truth go first and behind them go righteousness and justice, then mercy and truth will be able to do something. God will not impute to us our transgressions. We together will be justified. And righteousness and justice then come, we will be justified. If we do not prepare our hearts to hear the proclaimed mercy in the legal framework of truth, we will not have the ability to turn God's favor upon us. Romans chapter 10, verses 16 through 17. But they have not all obeyed the gospel, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Isaiah calls his sermon is the faith of God. And those that are called to listen, he calls them believers. But those who do not listen, he calls them unbelievers. Unbelievers. Who has believed our report? Faith comes from hearing the word that carries that is carried by the man of God. The means for accepting this kind of help expressing the inheritance of God's mercy prayer and worship, because prayer is simply the right that man gives the heavens to interfere here on earth, and we are called to give God this right only on his established conditions. And one of David's prayers written in the 143rd Psalm, where he gives God the right to interfere in his life, his mercy and truth, it will be for us as an example of our inheritance. Hear my prayer, O Lord, give ear to my supplication. In your faithfulness answer me, and in your righteousness. Do not enter into judgment with your servant, for in your sight no one living is righteous. For the enemy has persecuted my soul, he has crushed my life to the ground. He has made me dwell in darkness like those who have long been dead. Here he proclaims and uncovers before God what in fact is occurring inside that the enemy has persecuted his soul and has crushed his life to the ground he is not proclaiming that this is not so simply speaking the truth not before people this is an open heart before god and of course god will hear this kind of uh person and answer him and if a person says everything is fine then on the contrary he has made me dwell in darkness like those who have long been dead. Therefore, my spirit is overwhelmed within me. My heart within me is distressed. I remember the days of the old. I meditate on all your works. I muse on the work of your hands. Spread out my hands to you. My soul longs for you like a thirsty land. Answer me speedily, O Lord. My spirit fails. 
Do not hide your face from me, lest I be like those who go down into the pit. Cause me to hear loving kindness in the morning, for in you do I trust. Cause me to know the way in which I should walk, for I lift up my soul to you. Deliver me, O Lord, from my enemies. In you I take shelter. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Your spirit is good. Lead me in the land of uprightness. Revive me, O Lord, for your name's sake. For your righteousness' sake, bring my soul out of trouble. In your mercy, cut off my enemies. And destroy all those who afflict my soul. For I am your servant. Amen. We will pray. If the Lord allows, then we, during the next opportunity for me, I will be able to uh, continue the subsequent thoughts. May be blessed in your prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we turn to you in the name of your Son, our Lord and Savior. Hear your inheritance and accept our prayer as a sacrifice. We thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to be in this privileged place where you are found continually, which your hand has outlined for the worship of you, for us to be able to hear your words, your commandments, your statutes, your decrees, and how to understand them. We thank you for this. We thank you that we have this opportunity to proclaim your word, your word which has become light to us, light to us individually. We have come out to this light. I'm not for the music. have come not for some kind of praise, but the light of your word, which has illuminated us and shown us who we were without you and what this word has done for us. And that has, it has become the light of our path. And you have become, you have brought, brought each of us to the state in which we say, I can do it. I will be able to do it. We thank you, Lord, for this, that we are able to proclaim that you have delivered us from the law of sin and death through destruction. And you give us a new law, the law of spirit of life in Christ Jesus. You have given us the privilege to proclaim your word and to consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God. Hold on to this proclamation unceasingly and continually, for we know Faithful is him who has promised. He who has started this work in us will bring it to the end. And we, Lord, are based on your word, and we bow down before it, and we thank you that we have stopped worshiping our intellect, but have started to acknowledge that word that you have given to the man of God. We thank you, Lord, for this person, for we know that our Redeemer lives. And if he lives, then our soul 
lives. And we, Lord, know that that word which you have started in our life, you will bring it to the end. And we, in the name of Jesus Christ, are grateful to you for this word which has altered our life. And may the man of God, our pastor, brother Arkady, may he bless. And we thank you, Lord, for healing, for the healing of his physical body. We don't see this any other way, and we are grateful to you, and we know that you hear your inheritance. We are grateful that you have lifted us from the deep, dark pits. You have placed our feet on the firm foundation, which is our church. You have lifted us up to the rock that was never possible for us before, but you have been made a rock. You have become the Lord of our strength, rock, fortress, deliver our shield, our rock in which we will trust, our stronghold. Fulfill, Lord, this work that you have begun in our life until the end. We thank you. We worship you for those words into which we can become immersed and which produce a great work in each of us individually. Let us be a light to one another that we can forgive one another so that we can rise that we can be a blessing to one another. We thank you for this word that we were able to hear that instructs us, that comforts us, and that tells us of the future. We bow down before you, our, our Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now, let us proclaim our unchanging manifestation. Now to him who is able to keep us from stumbling and to present us faultless before the presence of his glory with unblemished joy, to God our Savior, through Jesus Christ, who alone is wise, the glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen.